today on CityCast DC. The reversal of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruling that legalized abortion in the United States, is all that's been on my mind since Friday, and I'm sure many of you can relate. We're fortunate to live in a city that is so staunchly supportive of abortion rights, but that doesn't mean that we're immune to the changes that are ahead. I sat down with Kayla Roeder from Street Sense Media to talk about how the Supreme Court ruling affects you and the rest of D.C. It's Tuesday, June 28, 2022. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. So, as we know, Roe is gone. It's something that I had been in my personal life and professional life kind of preparing for, but that didn't make it any less of a punch to the gut when it happened. You know, I spent the weekend going to protests and rallies and marches, and I'm honestly feeling very drained. I'm wondering, how are you feeling about everything? Yeah, I am feeling incredibly drained as well. Um, I went to the Supreme Court Friday afternoon into the evening. And I could tell that feeling from a lot of other people. We've known this is going to happen for a while now, and I'm just feeling drained and wishing that there's something that we could all do more, but there just seems like there really isn't. I think that feeling of hopelessness when I was out at the marches was really so salient. I feel like everybody around me felt that kind of crushing weight of, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what this means. You know, I think that's such a hard feeling to be pushing up against, that feeling of hopelessness. Definitely. Yeah, I hear you. So this decision throws the issue back to the states. But as we know, D.C. is not a state. So who gets to decide the fate of abortion in D.C.? Yeah. So despite being very blue, D.C. does lack statehood, like you said. So the city is susceptible to a rollback. Congress has final say over D.C. laws and budget and already bans the use of local funds from being used to fund abortions for low-income residents. With a Republican-majority Congress, um, that could lead to restrictions. But, you know, my sources tell me that D.C. officials have been very adamant in that they will keep pushing to keep abortion legal here. That's really comforting to know at a time where there's not much comfort to be found. What do you think D.C. Council can do about this? Yeah, so the D.C. Council is already doing kind of a number of things to alleviate this. So in March, at-large Councilmember Henderson introduced legislation clarifying that an individual assisting someone in a self-managed medication-induced abortion um, would not be penalized. And also, shortly after the draft opinion leak, Councilmember uh, Brianna Doe introduced legislation that would prohibit D.C. from cooperating in investigations led by other states into anyone who performs, assists with, or receives an abortion. And that would essentially make D.C. a sanctuary city. And that's going to be heard on July 14th. That's the first reading. Then it'll go to a second reading, then mayoral review, then congressional review. Yeah, so that bill is the Human Rights Sanctuary Amendment Act of 2022. And I think as a D.C. resident, I think it feels good to know that someone is doing something, someone is proposing something, that we're not just throwing our hands up in hopelessness. But I do feel that D.C. not having statehood, it does add this extra layer of confusion when things like this happen. 
For instance, other states are able to spend their Medicaid money on funding whatever kind of health care they want, abortions included. And because D.C. lacks statehood, we're not able to do that. We're not able to make those decisions for ourselves. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that looks like in D.C.? Yeah. So several times there was a push to allow local dollars, um, local funded Medicaid to be used to fund abortions in D.C. And both times that has not been able to come to fruition. In Maryland, they use local dollars to fund Medicaid, but in Virginia, they do not. So it's very different kind of regionally. But in D.C., you're right, it does add a layer of complexity, um, which is very frustrating. And that's why a lot of local leaders are pushing for statehood. This is, you know, yet another call for statehood. Yeah, when I was at the rally outside of Union Station on Friday, so many of the speakers spoke to that. They said, you know, Abortion rights is a D.C. statehood issue. It's very combined. And so I was happy to see that that message being put out there on Friday. You know, you mentioned Virginia and Maryland. Can you tell me a little bit about what states around D.C. are doing with regard to abortion? Has this ruling from the Supreme Court impacted them? Definitely. Yeah. So Maryland and Virginia kind of both in opposite ways. Um, So Maryland recently expanded access, allowing health practitioners other than physicians to perform abortions which is really interesting. And they did that, I think, last month. And abortions will remain legal in Virginia for the foreseeable future. But just yesterday, Yunkin just announced a push for a 15-week abortion ban. And I saw that he's working with Republican lawmakers on this. And he mentioned that they may concede to a 20-week ban, but still, that's a very early on ban. And so both states are going in opposite directions. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that that's a really early ban. I feel like when we talk about abortion bans in terms of 10-week, 15-week, 20-week, it gives the impression that you, one, would need to be 15, 10, 20 weeks pregnant, and that's the cutoff. But actually, that time period so often is before many people even know they're pregnant. And so we're talking about one or two or three missed periods, which is really not a lot of time. And so I just always like to say that so that people really understand that those number weak bans can be a little misleading because what we're really talking about is, as you said, really not a lot of time. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Exactly. So let's talk about the people who will be most impacted by this decision in D.C. Is there a specific population who will be most deeply impacted by this ruling? Yeah. So I think a lot of different groups are going to be impacted. Low-income people, Black people, Indigenous people, trans people, and not just in D.C., you know, all over the country. And in my reporting, I work for Street Sense Media and we report on poverty and homelessness. And something that I really focused on in my reporting is how this is going to affect low-income people the most. And so I think it's important to note that Roe never guaranteed true access to an abortion. It legalized it, but it never guaranteed true access and accessibility to an abortion. And people who are below the poverty level or low income face many obstacles when it comes to getting an abortion, including the cost, knowledge of reproductive health, and physical access to providers. Can you tell me a bit about what you mean by that? Definitely. So there are a lot of factors to this. When you're low income, you're typically experiencing a lot of stress and trauma. And when you're experiencing this stress and trauma, you're less likely to track your period. You're less likely to track your ovulation. So discovering that you're pregnant early on is very unlikely. And I've spoken to some case managers about this as well. This concept that you're not as in tune with your body as somebody who's not undergoing as much stress and trauma is. And so when it comes to that, you're less likely to find out that you're pregnant early on. 
and you're more likely to find out later on. And finding a provider that provides a late-term abortion is very difficult, even in D.C. where it's legal um, at all stages of pregnancy. I believe there's one clinic that provides late-term abortions in D.C. in the entire city. So that's just one example of how historically it's been difficult for people to find access. Yeah. And when you add in those bands that you were just talking about, 10 week, 15 week, 20 week, you really start to see how this is an issue that disproportionately impacts people who are already experiencing other kinds of marginalization, whether it's their low income, their folks of color. I think like you really make that clear of the scope of the problem and who it impacts. Definitely. Yeah. And something else I kind of want to add to that is that pregnancy tests are very costly and hard to access. Um, So that's another layer to this. And they're also hard to interpret for some people. And I think as somebody who is an abortion advocate and cares about abortion, particularly for marginalized communities, Roe was never the, as you said, like the end all be all. When it comes to people having full access over body autonomy and self-determination of their decisions for themselves, we should be able to expect so much better than just Roe. You know, I'm obviously upset that it's no longer the law of the land, but it, as you said, it didn't really guarantee full access to people's rights to an abortion. And that's really what I, you know, the dreamer in me, that's what I want to have, not just for people who make a certain income, but for everybody, for our most vulnerable D.C. residents on up. Definitely. So how can folks still get an abortion if they need one? The the populations that you were speaking about earlier, low-income folks, how can these folks still get an abortion if they need one? Or is that going to be even more harder? So I think in D.C., it's essentially going to stay the same. And the D.C. Abortion Fund has raised thousands of dollars in recent weeks to fund abortions for low-income people. And the D.C. Abortion Fund does have a hotline that you can call if you need help. Um, And I've spoken to a few sources there, and they said they've never turned anybody away, which is very heartening to hear. Um, So in D.C., it's going to stay the same. That's really good to know. And when I was out at those rallies on Friday, I think a lot of people wanted to know what's next. So what do you see as being next for abortion in D.C.? Um, You know, I think that we're just going to keep fighting to keep it legal here. If there is a rollback, I think that D.C. officials are going to fight to keep it legal. And I've heard some sources say that if there is a bill that seeks to ban abortion in D.C., the president would likely veto it. So I think unless it's attached to a larger bill as a writer, I think that in D.C. we are safe. That's very comforting to hear at a time where I don't feel like we've had a lot of comfort. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This was great. Thank you so much for having me. And some quick news before we let you go. CPD Action is organizing a reproductive rights protest on Thursday. They'll be working with Planned Parenthood Action Fund and the Working Families Party. We'll provide more info in the show notes. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, the D.C. Council will vote on an emergency bill that allows anyone over 21 to self-certify that they need medical marijuana. The current rule is that you need a doctor's note to register for the city's program. And lastly, there's a new library in town. The renovated Lamont Riggs Lillian J. Huff Library opened in Northeast on Monday morning. It's 5,000 square feet bigger than the old building, and it's named after a community leader who led efforts to bring the original library to Lamont Riggs in the 70s. (laughs) 
That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. And for more ways to get involved in the DC community, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Thursday with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon.